easy valuations for the stock, but the dealers who sell them to them have no choice but to hedge and buy the stock itself. So it drives them up um, and they make money until one day. It all I goes think, horribly, horribly I think not wrong. only the retail investor is also including institution, including, for example, uh, Kevin Wood. So the, the, she <laughs> also invests on it. So it's uh, institution plus retail to make this uh, uh, something bubble-like mm-hmm. uh, scenario. We should warn listeners, of course, that if you do that, if you buy these call options, if the stock then goes down, these call options become worthless very quickly and you lose all your money. Yes, I agree. All right. Our sentence here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for that. It's a very lively discussion there. You heard Nitin the Elders, Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital, Kenny Wen, Wealth Management Strategist at Everbright Sun Hung Kai, and our International Economics Correspondent, Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look for this morning around um, Asian markets. First of all, in Australia, the SX200 up 0.1%. Nikkei 225 in Japan is down about a third of a percent. The Cosby on the slide as well in South Korea, down 0.2%. Futures markets indicating the Hang Seng is going to open about 200 points lower later on this morning. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil right now trading slightly lower, $86.23 a barrel, and gold is at $1,794 an ounce. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Do please join me then. Back chat's coming up with Jim Gould and Anna Fenton right after the 8.30 news. The weather forecast mainly cloudy, one or two light rain patches in the morning. Sunny periods maximum temperature about 28 degrees and then sunny periods in the next couple of days one or two rain patches tomorrow morning cloudier over the weekend. 25 degrees right now, 72% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.32 here's Barry O'Rourke with the news. Epidemiologist Benjamin Cowling says he doesn't understand new guidelines on why recovered COVID patients are required to spend an extra two weeks in hospital before being allowed to go home. The infectious diseases expert from the University of Hong Kong's School of Public Health said there were no cases known around the world where a recovered or even a repositive case had triggered a community outbreak. He criticised the new policy as a waste of hospital resources. The previous policy is that people who have COVID are put in isolation until doctors are confident that they've recovered and they're no longer contagious, they're no longer a threat if they're discharged. That's happened more than 10,000 times. We have more than 10,000 discharge cases back into Hong Kong. Uh, There's never been any report of any recovered case triggering a community outbreak. The new policy starting today is that all those cases that have been judged to recover no longer pose a threat to the community will be uh, isolated for a further 14 days. And so the average hospitalization is going to go from maybe 10, 12 days up to almost four weeks for each case. The government announced the new rules yesterday, which includes scrapping most quarantine exemptions after consulting mainland officials about the reopening of the border. A respiratory medicine expert has welcomed tightened rules for COVID-19 patients who are discharged from hospital. Leung Chi Chu says the restrictions are proportionate given how few cases the SAR has. Dr Leung said the move should make it easier to reach agreement with mainland officials to reopen the border. Especially for those who become repositive soon after discharge, there is no gap to the guarantee that they may not have been a false negative test upon discharge. And so uh, if they are subject to another 14 days of quarantine, that will help to uh, minimise the risk. 
China Telecom says it's planning to pursue all available options after the US regulator revoked its license to operate in the country on national security grounds. The company says it's disappointed by the decision. Here's the BBC's Jonathan Josephs. Telecom's infrastructure is seen as a sensitive part of any modern state because of its role in carrying data. In making this decision, the US Federal Communications Commission cited the potential for China's government to use the company to engage in spying and other activities harmful to the United States. Beijing owns and controls China Telecom, which has been given 60 days to end its US operations. They include wireless services and IT for business customers. Buckingham Palace has announced that Queen Elizabeth will not be attending the upcoming United Nations Climate Change Summit that Britain is hosting in Glasgow. The Queen, who's 95, recently spent a night in hospital and was advised by doctors to rest. More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. Uh, I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Anna Fenton. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, everybody. In the first half of this morning's programme, uh, we're talking about calls for closer regulation of social media. A former product manager at Facebook has told the British Parliament that the media firm's uh, algorithms are designed to promote divisive content and it was uh, unwilling to change because it puts profit first. For its part, Facebook said it had always had a commercial incentive to remove harmful content and had spent uh, 13 billion US dollars on protecting users. The UK and also Australia are currently uh, considering new regulations governing uh, social media operations. After nine o'clock, we'll be talking about quarantine facilities for domestic helpers and later on, updated rules for using the Leave Home Safe app as an NGO warns that the homeless could miss out on access to key services. Let us know your thoughts on any of these topics. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Joining us uh, this morning for the first half of the programme... We have uh, Dr. Karatalan Zaidi, who's a Hong Kong-based clinical psychologist from uh, Mind and Life uh, Psychology Practice, and also Dr. Vensi Cheng, who's uh, a, uh, a registered uh, psychologist uh, based here. Anna. Dr. Cheng, um, can we start with you? I know in your private practice you see a lot of um, children and families, and you must be experiencing now cases that are having evidence of the influences, positive and negative, of social media. Can you just give us a snapshot of what you're seeing in Hong Kong? Um, I'm seeing uh, that uh, in general, everyone has longer screen time as more social media um, hits the screen. Um, parents are concerned with their kids' screen time, um, and research has shown that it uh, has ranged from 3.5 to 8 hours per day of screen time, which American Health Association recommends two hours in maximum for school children. And then secondly, in some more extreme case, I do see uh, cyberbullying among teens uh, via um, fast spreading of information um, uh, on social media, um, and they bully certain teens 
uh, using such social media platforms. Um, and that harm uh, can be immense for the involving teens, uh, not just the victims, but also the teens involved in the event. So uh, when you say cyberbullying, are we talking about fat shaming or insults or what form does this take? Um, it takes the form of uh, fat being um, manipulated and twisted and gradually as it spread on social media it become exaggerated and uh, more polarized uh, and it brings a lot of harm to the uh, victimized teen. Right. So what would you see the consequences? Are, are, are Self-harming or what are the effects on these kids? Um, it makes the uh, kids uh, involved uh, having lots of uh, anxiety about uh, going to school and also lots of anxiety about um, the uh, content on the social media about them. Um, it involves, the danger of it is it involves more than people at her school. It's a circle of friends inside and outside of school. So that's why it's more difficult to handle by the school teachers. has to involve the parents, schools, plus also um, uh, the use of social media. So do you see this as a parent problem? Because I I've got, um, among my clients, I have one experience of more than one uh, young girl who has 13 Instagram accounts and she can shut them down and open them up every day as her mother looks at them and tries to track them. Do you see uh, this as a parenting issue or a school issue to control this? Um, to this uh, is more of the teen able, the kids and the teenagers able to manage their privacy um, on social media first and then how they communicate to let uh, parents or teachers know when uh, more dangerous in is involved. Okay, uh, just before we bring in uh, Dr. Zaidi, uh, Anna, perhaps you'd like to explain to the listeners what you mean by your clients, what it is. You oh, know, uh, you I do. work as a counsellor in my, in my other life. <laughs> right. Um, uh, Dr. Zaidi, good morning to you. Hello. Morning. Morning. Um, obviously, there's a, a great deal of focus on uh, the effect on young people of uh, social media, but um, broadening it out to somewhat. Um, and, and also, we should also point out that uh, that uh, social media companies say they are taking action. I mean, for instance, Instagram, Instagram, sorry, says it will uh, continue to build opt-in parental supervision tools for teenagers. But uh, just going beyond teenagers. Uh, um, it's always seemed that, to a lot of people anyway, that social media kind of promotes a form of human interaction which is not normal. I mean, it's somebody sitting behind a screen posting messages so that they can't see the other person that they, they may be directed at. Um, is, there, is this just a fact of life that we have to live with or is there anything that we can do to make it more uh, acceptable? Um, thank you for having me. Uh, so... Um you know, it is it is part of our life. Uh, it, it is something that we do have to get used to. I agree with with that. But it is, and it is, we also have to remember that it is the principal way young people are consuming information, and you know, with increased frequency, immediacy, and intensity. 
So those are the things that we have to uh, be mindful of because um, especially during, you know, adolescence and development um, of the brain, um, important developmental tasks that we are trying to establish are intimate peer relations, increasing independence from adults and the exploration of identity. And within that, if the only way we're learning to do that is through a screen, it, you know, it, it isn't a balanced way uh, to um, um, uh, go through this uh, stage of development. And then the other part is that it does create a, uh, and promote a culture of instant responses and being available instantly on social media. And, uh, you know, as, as uh, 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 it was said previously, that there is a concern over peer evaluation, there's drive for social rewards, uh, and personal information is instant and it is quantifiable, which is through likes and dislikes. So all of that, uh, is, is, is that the new reality? That's something that, you know, as, as society and as um, uh, educators, as parents, as uh, government legislators, we have to think about that. So where do you think we're going with this? Is this really a parent issue? Because my experience of this is parents almost um, don't seem to know what their kids are up to. And it comes as a great surprise to them when they find out that they have multiple uh, Instagram accounts or uh, IGTV, Instagram television is the latest one, I gather. Because, of course, to the youngsters, Facebook is old hat. That's what oldies use. So I think Facebook isn't really the story with with teens and younger kids, is it? Dr. Zaidi, is that your experience? Yeah, the, no, my experience is that uh, the Instagram um, the, the, and YouTube are the two channels, two, um, um, you know, 70% of the youth are uh, kind of engaging in those platforms. Absolutely, Facebook is not something that they, they are uh, using regularly. That's not their go-to, uh, you know, um, um, platform but uh, the, the thing is that uh, as, as you say is it a parenting issue we didn't grow up with this technology uh, but the, the, the analogy that you know it's, it's important to remember that if you if your child was on the playground or if they were hanging out with a friend in real life as a parent would you want to know who they were with and what they were up to and how how did you uh, parent in that time and, and we've got to go back to, uh, you know, with that parenting, as you say, it's not that, that we didn't grow up with this and we did, don't know about it. It is that we now need to adapt and be involved in our children's lives. I mean, look, teenagers are difficult. It's a difficult time anyway. It is a, you know, a, and it is a time where we have to be more available, I think. So, yes, you're right. Parents are not aware of that there are 13 accounts, for example, for a child, uh, but um, that that requires communication within that family. So, Dr. Chung, how do you see this uh, among your clients? Do you see it's an adult issue or a teenage issue? Which, which is more the issue? Um, I, I would see, uh, I do agree with um, the other psychologists, what they're saying, that parents really do not have that grow up and understanding and they do need a, a, a lot more information exposure on how to 
deal with that as a parent and how to understand the necessity and the life of this, uh, the Instagram life of of uh, this for a teenager, um, and uh, to be able to give the relevant uh, guidance um, because uh, kids and teenagers still need a lot of guidance on how to protect themselves and how to uh, interact respectfully uh, to, to with each other and they do need um, guidance from teachers and parents and for the adults to be able to guide they need to understand more about social in, uh, media and their impact so could you give us a couple of maybe case examples of, of real life cases that you would see um, for the case of uh, cyberbullying that I uh, have been dealing with, the number of them, um, first, uh, indeed, the, the parents, the mom, find out the impact from uh, observing uh, her own daughter. And so that's why she's able to start um, asking her what happened and start to looking in her phone um, uh, what's happening um, and then she's able, the daughter able to uh, tell bit by bit more about the situation and in what social media platform which in the case of the mom she hasn't got such accounts um, and she start to join and uh, ask the daughter to link her up so that she is more able to know um, what's happening and uh, what she posts, the daughter posts, um, that will help her more to take hold of the situation in, in her case. In the end, the, uh, the parents need to talk to the teachers regarding the teacher uh, situation because part of the uh, people involved are actually in her own school, in the daughter's own school. Mm. Okay, I, I'm looking at this uh, internationally. Uh, in Australia, for instance, uh, there's a new uh, draft law which uh, says that uh, um, advertisers who target children uh, 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 by making social media platforms, uh, they, they would have to seek uh, parental consent for users younger than 16 to join uh, those platforms or face fines of up to 10 million Australian dollars. Um, I mean, that form of regulation, um, is that something that uh, we ought to be uh, more seriously uh, thinking about, uh, Dr Zaidi? Um, I, I think it's a step in the right direction. I, I do think that this is, uh, there, there is an increased awareness uh, at the governmental level in Australia, for example, and in the UK and in the US. And these issues are international because these social media platforms are also international. And it is important that governments are collaborating and adopting the best practices to safeguard our next generation. It is our responsibility to be able to do that. Uh, however, of, of course, it's going to vary region to region and country to country. But as the uh, presence of new media, uh, you know, only continues to grow, it is essential that we are able to develop evidence-based approaches for encouraging healthy social media use in, in the use and effectively utilize the tools for, you know, for for ourselves and 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 the community and. Uh, uh, our next generation. So it, it's a conversation that needs to happen um, 
locally and at the government level and also internationally. Dr. Zaidi, could I just ask you to play it forward a bit? Not only teenagers are, are affected by this, what I'm seeing now is um, a real ramping up of jealousy in adult women as regards their male partner's use of Facebook and social media to the point that wives and girlfriends will be scrolling through their husband's phone asking who their new Facebook friends are. And this can really undermine relationships. Do you see this as an issue yourself? Um, yeah, yes, that is, that's correct, and there is... Uh, oh, and the other way around, by the way, yes, you know, yeah. it's not just the women checking out the men. Yeah, I agree, I agree. It is, it is both ways, and it, it, it does create that sense of, you know, um, a, a sense of um, insecurity in the relationship, absolutely, uh, because, again, you know, the interaction between human to, you know, the eye-to-eye contact is decreasing. Uh, in all or throughout, right? In all uh, within all developmental phases or uh, all ages, and the screen to eye contact is increasing, and that does create a sense of what's happening in our relationship. And it is important to be able to get back to you, you, being able to connect with your partner and be involved in their internal world, rather than um, spending time scrolling through. It, it's very engaging. It's very engaging, and this is what our, these algorithms are here to do. They are designed for us to pay selective attention to, uh, you know, the information that they've gathered from us, and, you know, they keep on feeding us that information, so we stay engaged for longer. So how much extra responsibility does that place on social media companies? Uh, uh, I mean, I'm thinking, for instance... Um, uh, incidents like when uh, there is a uh, racist abuse of footballers uh, uh, and then uh, everybody involved says, oh, well, social media companies are responsible and something's got to be done about it. Um, but then it'll happen again a few days later and nothing really seems to be uh, happening uh, enough at the moment. Um, uh, uh, OK, uh, Dr. Chen. Hello, Vinci, yes. you still yes. with us? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do we need? I mean, would you would you say that uh, the the internet and social media companies uh, uh, would uh, benefit? Would would users benefit if there were tighter controls on what people can post and if uh, offensive posts uh, had to be deleted uh, faster? Wow, that will definitely affect the companies, uh, but it will ease a lot of stress from the readers, um, from the people using social media. Mm -hmm. I do have uh, adult clients uh, get very stimulated and stressed from uh, reading, uh, spending lots of time, and he has to cut down on his usage on uh, Facebook and social media because of the algorithm that uh, Facebook's use to uh, uh, keep pushing all these um, notices and posts to them and those are getting them more and more polarized in their opinion and they actually feel that mental stress on them. Yeah, and I notice at night time this seems to be, be more. They, they seem to pick up on your interests and bombard you with those subjects late at night. It's as if they know people will be sitting there staring at their screens, isn't it? Agreed. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. Um, it, it's it's quite amusing. I mean, if you if you look at some uh, you know some sort of uh, interest groups. I mean, even, even like collecting model aeroplanes or something like that. Uh, uh, someone will post a comment, and before you know it, uh, somebody disagrees, and then. Um, a very heated argument rapidly escalates and, and, and people will say things and post things that you think they would never dare to say to the other person's face or they'd be too embarrassed or, 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 or you know, as, as psychologists, uh, do you think there is a way that we might be able to uh, tackle such a phenomenon? Um, you mean as a mental health practice? I guess m mental health does come into it. Uh, um, just the, the way that people interact on social media is clearly, in, 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 in many cases, it's not healthy, is it? Oh, but um, uh, people uh, have a lot of difficulty to see that because they use this as a way of escape, what they can't do in real life. So they can't do that so much in faith, uh, but they can be, uh, uh, and they can receive a lot of attention uh, during such argument, and that is also uh, a way for them to uh, get rid of their stresses or their, what they can't face in reality. Um, they put all this anger um, and emotions out easier uh, through this social media by using different identities, not necessarily using their own accounts. So it's a kind of dissociation, is that what you're saying, Dr. Chung, that they don't feel accountable the way they would if it was face-to-face -face physical relationships? Uh, uh, yes, true. Less, uh, less direct. But of course, when they use their own account, they will be more mindful because they know the people connected are their friends, colleagues. So they, uh, many people that I see, they have more than one account, so they will manage what they put uh, through different accounts, the different facades or faces they have. Right. Dr. Zaidi, do you see that we need a uh, almost like a new social code of conduct of good manners for online social media use? It seems like there's no limits here. I agree. I mean, absolutely. And I, I, as, as we were talking, you know, going back to the question of uh, uh, people having the ability um, and lack of accountability to be able to post comments on people's race or... Uh, gender or however, you know, the footballer's example that came earlier. How is it that we don't do that? There are legislations, there are things in place to be able to monitor that. And, you know, socially it's not accepted that people do that. Of course there are people who would do that, but it's not okay in society, in person, to be able to do that. So tell me, why, why does it become okay uh, for somebody to write that and the platform that's providing that, is, is, are they solely responsible or is it a bigger issue, as I say? So yes, we do need a new conduct, code of conduct of how we interact on social media platforms because it has to be respectful and it has to be, you know, as we would interact uh, in real life, which is the example that I used earlier where, you know, if your children are on the playground at 11 o'clock, how it's the same for them to be on a social platform at 11 o'clock and wouldn't you want to know what they're doing outside? The same applies to the adults, right? How is it that we are 
allowing um, as a society for this to continue and not leave it unchecked. Probably, be, pr- probably because the adults, right. probably because the adults are on their own social media at eleven o'clock at night. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, then you know, then we need to accommodate for that, and then you know, this, this discussion. I guess, look, it's something new. It's it's only a decade or fifteen years old that we've we've been engaging with this. There was a different way of life before this, right? So now I think we're coming to find a balance between. What, how we were and what this new technology means in real life and what impact it's having generally on, you know, uh, on the society and then being able to put some uh, measures around that so it is respectful. So could we and just it, turn it around, um, either of you really, Dr Chung or Dr Zadie? We've talked a lot about the negatives of social media. What are the positives? Oh, um, you know, I, I think one thing uh, that has been really, really good... Uh, in the pandemic has been these social media platforms where, you know, uh, we peer interactions um, and being able to be part of a support group has been really helpful um, and, you know, where people were able to experience some of um, social interaction while they were feeling so isolated during this a very difficult time over the last 18 to two, 18 months to two years. So that has been uh, positive. The other um, positives around this is that, you know, we are, um, it is an educational platform to be able to raise awareness of things that are important. Um, So, you know, those, those are definitely the positives of it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, and uh, and 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 reconnecting with old friends. Um, okay, we'll, we'll have to bring uh, this part of the discussion to a close because uh, we're coming up to the news summary at nine o'clock. <clears throat> Stay with us uh, because uh, we'll be back at three minutes past. Got some uh, interesting emails to read out as well. Uh, a quick uh, look at the weather. It's going to be mainly cloudy, one or two light rain patches at sunny periods during the day. Uh, the outlook: uh, sunny periods in the next couple of days, one or two rain patches tomorrow morning. Cloudier over the weekend, currently 26 degrees, humidity 72%. Welcome back to Back Chat uh, with uh, Anna Fenton and me, Jim Gould. Um, and this morning, uh, we're talking about uh, several topics, uh, actually. Uh, just before nine o'clock, we were discussing uh, possible extra regulation of social media and its effect on the uh, psychology of uh, users uh, we had with us and I should thank them because um, um, we're now finished with that section but uh, so thank you to Dr uh, Karatalan Zaidi who's a Hong Kong based clinical psychologist from Mind and Life Psychology Practice and also to Dr Vinci Chung who's also a regu- registered uh, psychologist uh, based here um, thank you to those two guests and a few emails on the subject um, Paul writes Uh, We've known about Facebook's uh, targeted ads and addictive fruit machine style notifications for many years now and nothing was ever done about it. So why now has this whistleblower, Francis Haugen, that's the former Facebook employee who's been giving evidence to MPs in UK, uh, so why has uh, she suddenly uh, been given so much exposure? Well, if I check my current uh, Facebook feed like never before, it suddenly 
become full of suggested for you posts and the only conclusion I can draw is that this is all going to lead to even more targeted censorship towards certain narratives. Don't worry though, if you just keep believing that you require an experimental medical procedure in order to function normally, if you keep believing that there are no differences between men and women, if you keep believing that nature can magically write its own DNA code, if uh, keep believing that uh, greedy capitalists are responsible for inflation and not off-the-scale government spending and so on, then everything will remain fine and dandy, just like it currently is. Thank you. That's from Paul. Uh, James writes, uh, most job descriptions now require experience in social media, so why not include it as part of the school curriculum or offer cheap training courses for older people? Isn't Mrs Lam trying to promote Hong Kong as a tech hub? Uh, David says, I want to take my telephone away from my kid. It is a damn nuisance. But the problem I have now is it is so integrated with schoolwork and doing projects at school uh, that they have to use the computer and the telephone. Personally, now I would like all smartphones banned for kids under the age of 16 and they are only allowed to carry a regular telephone because we will have the situation where we have uh, internet failure and then the whole world stops. Oh, I don't know what to do. Thank you, David. Uh, Jeffrey says, uh, China is like... Uh, con China likes control over social media, self-censorship, and a great firewall is the only solution, and this looks like uh, one thing China got right. Regards. OK, um, we're about to move on to our second topic this morning, and that is that uh, employers have begun uh, bookings for uh, the Territory's second quarantine hotel for newly arrived foreign domestic helpers. Uh, that's the Rambler Garden Hotel in uh, uh, Qingyi, which uh, provides a total of 500 rooms uh, specifically for foreign domestic helpers uh, coming here to Hong Kong. And it now means that we've... Uh, uh, more than 1,900 units uh, in two hotels and also the Penny's Bay Quarantine Centre in Lantau. Uh, we're joined on the line by Thomas Chan, who's chairman of the Hong Kong Union of Employment Agencies. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, so how much of a benefit and a relief is it to have uh, this new hotel with its 500 rooms uh, available for domestic helpers coming here? Uh, as a general, of course, the increase of the 500 more rooms uh, has really helped to the employers who are waiting for the workers. But uh, for Monday's uh, booking situation, I can only describe it with one word, it's really messy. Mm. Uh, by messy, uh, we can view it from different angles. Uh, first is the, I think the hotel management, they underestimate the people who go to the server or go to their website to book the hotels. Uh, from general, uh, because right now there are about 6,000 something workers still stranded in either Philippines or in, in Malaysia. They might think, uh, the people going there are about 6,000 or 7,000. But actually, that's not the case. Because for every one worker, actually, there are five or six people booking hotels for them. Uh, the employers, employers, uh, spouse, children, or even friends or colleagues, everyone is helping to 
fight for one room, even only for one worker. By this estimate, 6,000 stranded workers, there might be 20 to 30,000 people are going to the website. That's why uh, at about 9 o'clock on Monday morning, the server uh, collapsed. Nobody can really go into the server to book the hotel, first one. Second, even you go into the website, they always show uh, there is a some something internet uh, error. You cannot operate or you cannot curse uh, on the right date you want. Number three, that's more uh, strangers or more uh, abnormal, abnormal to the hotel bookers. Because when we actually, I also went to try to, 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 to find a room. When we go there, the calendar, and I mean the booking calendar, there are some dates are blocked. For example, for January, uh, for, for November, uh, starting from November 10 to November almost uh, 20, those dates are blocked. You cannot book any room there. But we have to bear one thing in mind. For every people going to this, to stay in this hotel, they are going to stay for 21 nights, not only for one week or several days. It means even you can click on November 1 or 2 or 3, but you cannot completely to get 21 nights. That's very... So what you're, saying, what you're saying is then that you effectively can't start a new booking until after the 20th of November, which means the first three weeks are useless to you. Yes, and then at the end of the November, the date for booking, it looks like normal. However, in December, they block some dates again. It means by this way, suppose nobody can really book the 21 complete quarantine period. So it's completely useless? Seems like that. However, after about 30 minutes, the hotel always shows and all rooms are fully occupied. That's why, that, that's exactly we are wondering why for most of the people they will encounter with this broken period, but the room can be totally or fully sold out within 30 minutes. Who can do it that way? Mm-hmm. By this way, I, I strongly appeal the government, especially the Labour Department, because the Labour Department is the monitoring and management organization to the quarantine hotel. They should really look into the matter and explain to the public what's really happening. So clearly uh, we need uh, a better monitoring and an improvement of the booking system. Um, But uh, uh, as I mentioned earlier, with these new hotel rooms, that now means that there are 1,909 units for foreign helpers uh, to quarantine. Um, Is that enough? Uh, I think one thing I have to to amend or to to correct your... uh, Most media's... uh, general uh, idea. Uh, government is providing 1,900 uh, rooms. Actually, it's not 1,900 rooms. First, most of the quarantine center is only providing uh, 70 
five to eighty percent of the total rooms. Okay. Second, uh, for Siuka Hotel, the the one in Chimwan, actually mm-hmm. only providing the rooms to workers from September to October, starting from November. They don't accept any booking anymore. So, uh, but until even until this moment, the government, the hotel, they never say will they still keep providing service to the public or not. What and, happened? Did Mr. Chan? Did they lose their uh, license? Did the government not renew their quarantine uh, license? As, as what we understand, the first at the first stage, the government only reached a two months agreement with the hotel. Suppose if they want to renew the license or renew the contract. At the early October, they should finish the new terms or new cooperation uh, agreement or whatever. But until this day, today is almost the end of October, still no news about the hotel uh, service to the public. It means that's why we are wondering or we are suspecting actually government is using the new hotel, the Rumbler, to replace the Silka. That's why. If we always think there are 1,900, uh, 1, it's really a misleading figure to the public. Okay, so so it would actually be quite a lot less, obviously, if the Silka Hotel is no longer offering uh, the service to foreign domestic helpers. Uh, so so there, there, so there are how many rooms were there there available? About about four hundred and fifty, something like that. Uh, uh, even for 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 uh, as what I just mentioned. For most of the quarantine, because of the security reasons or management reasons, uh, the, the real number available is not as much as the one in uh, they released mm-hmm. to public. It's only about seventy percent to eighty percent. Right. Uh, that's that's understandable. But mm-hmm. <laughs> one thing I, I just wondering: the government they, they like to to talk about the highest number. <laughs> they don't talk about the real number. So from what you say, Mr. Chan, supposing you'd booked the Silka Hotel for the first 21 days when they started, you'd be okay. <clears throat> but if you'd then booked and started your quarantine after that time, you wouldn't have been able to finish your quarantine? Is that what's happened? Yes, and then uh, uh, one thing I, I, I'm also wondering, uh, because uh, as what I just mentioned, in the first uh, few minutes, uh, when we were trying to, to book the Rambla Hotel, they are uh, always showing the broken period of uh, quarantine uh, quarantine period. But after about 30 minutes, then the room is fully booked. Who, who can really tackle those difficulties and get the room? That, that, that's, the, that's the critical point. Everyone should pay attention. So who should we ask about this? Who's the responsible department or agency? Uh, the only thing, the only thing responsible monitoring organization, of course, is the government, uh, the specific labor department. The second is the hotel management themselves. Uh, I don't want to say too much uh, unconfirmed story. Actually, mm. we, we have a lot of uh, different story confirmed. Uh, it, it's something like... Uh, male operation or, or irregular operation, but uh, without evidence, I don't want to talk mm. about it in public. I just want mm. the government really go into a serious, serious, serious investigation. 
So what sort of problems is this uh, situation causing uh, for, uh, for employers, for agencies, uh, for the helpers themselves, uh, for families waiting for their domestic helper? Yeah, that's why uh, to most of the employers, uh, actually, even every room is fully occupied. It's only about 500 rooms, but you have to consider there are about 6,000 something. So most of the workers, most of the employers, they are still very uh, disappointed. They are still waiting without a certain future. Is, uh, and do you, I mean, are there any situations where uh, a domestic helper arrives in the territory and, and, and then there's some sort of mix up with the, with the, with the quarantine booking and, uh, and they're sort of, uh, you know, left with nowhere to go? Is that, has, has that happened? Yeah. Uh, so far, mm. uh, most of the workers are still stranded uh, mm. overseas. Mm. Uh, mm. The up by this, I, I think the key point is the government want to control the number of the people arriving in Hong Kong because uh, the Secretary of Labor and Welfare keep saying they they would control about uh, the daily arrival about yeah. fifty. Uh, even right now they have a little bit increased to seventy or something. But right. by this speed, it really can't solve the problem because right. even in Hong Kong itself, every day the new application for workers from overseas maybe is over seventy already. So it means you 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 let fifty or seventy come uh, people coming in, but at the same time another seventy is increasing at the same time. That's why for the seven thousand after two months, still about six to seven thousand. No, no decrease of the population waiting. Yeah, yeah. So the demand is outstripping the supply. Clearly, yes, yes, uh, and yes. What, 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 what is that meaning for for family? I mean, we, we've heard stories of uh, of helpers being offered a, a, a lot more than the, than the basic uh, minimum. Yes, uh, that, to, that, to, that's the it, side effect mm. of this uh, very serious imbalance between supply and demand. Uh, the first one is the worker. The worker salary keep increasing. Uh, if, for example, the uh, employer want to hire a new helper, if they just offer the minimum salary, it's quite difficult to, to get one. And if for those employers, even they want to renew with the current helper at home, they also have to increase the salary. Otherwise, the worker might go somewhere. And then another one is for, for those employers with elderly, with uh, infants, or with sick people inside, it's more difficult. Or the employers, they cannot provide a private room or personal room for the worker. They will also be in some kind of disadvantage to, to get the right candidate. So pay and conditions may be actually improving for the helpers? Uh, yes, on the other side. That, <laughs> because they, they are now controlled. I always say right now is the worker-oriented market. They are the one to dominate the market. Mm. Um, like you say, there, there was a, for a while there was a quota of, uh, of fifty helpers uh, uh, per day allowed to arrive, which is uh, uh, and you you saying that's gone up a bit. But um, what w- what do you think would be a, a reasonable level? Uh, you mean the uh, 
in in, t in terms of in terms of the 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 number the number of helpers who who are allowed uh, to come to Hong Kong uh, okay. on any given day or yeah. I think if government can increase the level for for new arrivals to 100 to 120 mm -hmm. uh, per day uh, it will be much better at least every month we can allow about 2000 or 2500 to come here so right. we hope within 3 months everyone can fulfill the dreams the worker can come to work mm -hmm. and earn the money the employer can get the worker and get the service mm -hmm. but then w would we need more quarantine rooms if we were yes, allowing 120 a day to, yeah, uh, yeah. but on the other hand i think quarantine room is not a problem the problem is the government, they don't want to release or they don't want to to increase the arrival, sure. the number of arrivals. If they increase, actually, in, in the from past experience, before uh, pandemic situation or even uh, in the early stage of pandemic situation, the hotel rooms are well enough to accommodate workers. So hotel rooms is not a big problem. Right now it's the government intentionally to control the number of arrivals and intentionally control the number of rooms available. Okay, okay. All right, well, thank you very much uh, for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. Uh, Thomas Chan there, the chairman of the Hong Kong Union of Employment Agencies. Uh, thank you. And for the last uh, uh, five minutes, uh, seven or eight minutes or so of this morning's programme, uh, we're turning our attention to um, another story, and that is uh, the uh, compulsory use of the Leave Home Safe app to enter government uh, premises, which will uh, become the case uh, from next Monday, November the 1st. Um, the hospital authority has said that it will allow some flexibility for people who require medical care but don't have the Leave Home Safe app um, that, they, uh, that would otherwise be needed to enter government buildings. And um, there have been warnings from um, NGOs um, that... Uh, the homeless, for instance, are going to find it difficult uh, uh, because they are reliant on a lot of services and if they don't have uh, a mobile phone, um, they won't necessarily have access to them. Um, we're now joined on the line by Anne Sitt, who's a community organiser for the uh, Society for Community Organisation. Uh, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Um, good morning. Um, thank you for inviting. Yeah. So, how concerned about you are uh, uh, you know about this requirement that it will be compulsory to use the Leave Home Safe app to enter government premises from Monday? Um, yeah, we are concerned about it, and as well as our homeless um, service users, um, because um, they rely a lot on government premises to uh, sustain their daily life, like if. They uh, would like to get some drinking water or take a shower. They would go to uh, some sports facilities by the LCSD. And they also need to do all sorts of um, paperwork uh, uh, to get welfare. Um, and they quite often, they need to uh, visit the social welfare department and the home affairs department, and all requires them to um, scan the leave home safe. But um, the problem is 80% um, of our homeless clients, are um, they 
did not use any mobile phone at all. Not even those um, the the not smartphone ones, the, the regular one, just for them to call in and out. They don't even have that. So um, we are worried that um, after the the government uh, uh, compulsory for them to use the leave home safe, I'm not sure if they can still. Uh, gain access to these premises um, flexibly, yeah. So what would you say uh, to the government? What do you want them to do? I mean, uh, uh, that, that has been the arrangement up to now where an alternative to the Leave Home Safe app was to write your details on, on paper. I mean, do you think that, that situation should be continued? Yeah, I, uh, I definitely think that uh, would be better for the homeless people. But um, the problem is um, the government... Uh, said that they would have flexibility in, um, in taking these measures. But um, we are not sure how, uh, or they didn't provide a very clear uh, examples or any um, regulations to um, let us know that how are they going to identify whether the person is a homeless person or, or not, or just someone pretends to be one just to avoid scanning the reform safe. So um, we hope that the government could provide us with more information on how, what measures are they going to take to um, identify uh, whether that person is genuinely an, a homeless person. And um, I hope that they would not be that strict in, um, uh, in that, uh, or, or, or I, I mean, I hope that they could allow some time for the people who are uh, standing at the door to assist in uh, scanning the home, uh, Leave Home Safe app. And also they allow some time for our homeless people to um, get used to the new measure. It's not just yeah. homeless, is it, Miss Said? It could be children who don't have phones or, uh, you know, no, there's yeah, also exactly. ma many people in the population still don't carry a phone around with them or don't have a smartphone. Sure, definitely. And, yeah, and... Also, um, and even if they have one, because after the uh, release of the news, um, there are people from the public would like to also help to our homeless people by um, donating smartphones to us, and we 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 welcome that um, their their generosity. But um, uh, the, they they the homeless people they are very easily to lose their phones um, uh, because they, due to that. They live in open areas. So um, we sometimes found that even if we provide a phone to them, they might lose it within a week. And also they need to take care of the charging problem. Um, they can't get any uh, electricity that uh, can, they can charge for their phones very often. So um, it would be not, not, very, um, not a very suitable solution to um, their problems of not using uh, smartphones. So if a homeless person turns up at a government facility and says, uh, uh, um, I don't have a smartphone and I'm homeless, um, what would you expect that, uh, you know, the, that the uh, security guards or whoever would be able to do? I mean, how can they verify if somebody is homeless or not? Yeah, um, that is what we are asking the government as well. Um, uh, but for some, like... Um, some, sometimes they can recognize them. For example, uh, people who use the um, heat and cold temporary shelter 
during winter or, or summer times um, because these people uh, visit these uh, shelters regularly so that the guards would recognize them. But how about to those who are new, uh, newly homeless or, or to those, um, not, or not everybody are willing or, um, to tell people that they are homeless. And for these people who are too shameful to um, admit their identities, I think um, it would just further push them away from the help they needed. So, um, yeah, we, we, we have the same questions, like how the guards are going to, um, to identify whether they are genuinely homeless or not. But um, we are hoping that the government could give us some concrete examples uh, on how are they going to carry this out. Is have, the, sorry, go ahead, Anna. Is there a system or an idea that could be presented to the government that homeless people could have some sort of a pass that uh, that that they'll just get around all this, that just exempts them from this? Um, I I think that so far there isn't any such kind of system, even though um, there is a uh, there is a registration system. Uh, in the social welfare department. They have a list of homeless people. But I think um, the list is not a complete one because it relies on the homeless people to willingly to give out their information. And for those who are unwilling to provide their uh, uh, information, they cannot get registered to uh, that list. So um, uh, if, but, and also, Due to some concerns of uh, confidentiality, I, I don't think that they can pass the list to every department to, to verify whether they are homeless or not. But um, I think um, to save all these troubles, um, I think if the government allows, like now, they can just simply fill out the forms or provide their identity card to, um, instead of uh, having them to scan the Leave Home Safe app compulsorily. Uh, I think uh, if they keep the current um, method, it would save all those troubles. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks very much for joining us uh, on the program this morning uh, and sit there, community organizer for the uh, Society for Community Organization, uh, SOCO for short. Thanks very much. Uh, uh, um, just before uh, we come to the end of the program, a couple of uh, emails to read out quickly um, on our, our main topic this morning, which was about social media. So, uh, Mr. Singh writes, uh, I think teachers should talk more about social media in class and talk about how to use social media, Instagram, etc and be safe. Parents should also have a look at what kids are doing on social media. Uh, try to uh, be uh, on the kids' uh, friends list. Um, thank you, Mr Singh. Um, and Alan writes... Um, uh, uh, just heard you reading a letter from Paul. He is aggrieved at the possibility that his anti-vaxxer conspiracy theories might be constrained by Facebook. Tell him to have no fear. Any mention of vaccines or COVID on Facebook is swarmed by anti-vaxxer loonies. Uh, disinformation is 90% of what you see on any related posts now and Facebook will just waffle about this and do nothing for years till the next crisis arises to distract the tinfoil hatters. OK, that's from Alan. Um, uh, quick look at the weather. Oh, and, and also, um, thank you very much to all our listeners and to everybody who wrote in, and thank you to you, Anna. You're welcome. And we're going to have a look at the weather before we go to the new summer in Morning Brew. It's going to be uh, mainly cloudy, one or two light rain patches in the morning, sunny periods during the day, top temperature around 28 degrees, 
the outlook, sunny periods in the next couple of days. One or two rain patches tomorrow morning, cloudy over the weekend. Currently 26 degrees, humidity 70%. As the risk of severe disease and death from COVID-19 increases with age, vaccines are highly recommended for the elderly. Common side effects are usually mild and temporary. Experts advise that those who have had flu shots before can safely receive COVID-19 vaccines. Even if you have a disease, you should get vaccinated as long as your condition is stable. Just staying home doesn't mean you're free from the risk of infection. Protect yourself. Get vaccinated early. The new summary with Vicky Wong. Epidemiologist Benjamin Cowling says new guidelines requiring recovered COVID patients to spend an extra two weeks in hospital before being allowed to go home will waste hospital resources. China Telecom says it is planning to pursue all available options after the US regulator revoked its license to operate in the country on national security grounds. And Buckingham Palace has announced that Queen Elizabeth will not be attending the upcoming United Nations Climate Change Summit in Britain that that Britain is hosting in Glasgow. I'll have more on these stories at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. And good morning to you, too. How are you doing? Excellent. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Fine, thank you. Thanks for inviding me to your show. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Good to see you. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. Good morning to you. Welcome to Wednesday on Morning Brew with me, Phil Whelan. Well, it's Classical Music Day. Composer and conductor Colin Touchin join him after 10.30 for some one-hit wonders. Some of the most famous pieces of music out there were exactly that. The composers, however brilliant, are only remembered for that one piece. Some actually only wrote one now famous piece, but that will be forever in our heads. We're going to play some of those for you today. 11.30 plus, RTL France's Philippe Lavar will be with us live from Paris for our weekly chat and the remaining tracks from septuagenarian Gérard Lenormand's amazing new album. 76, I think. First time recording in 20 years. Le Goût de Bonheur. Chris Watts is busy stretching the nation today, so he will be with you tomorrow after 12 when James Ross is going to be brewing your morning as well. Right now, it's 25 minutes to 10 for a Wednesday morning. How am I going to hear the end of this? UFO, who are?